Please always consult with your physicians prior to making any changes to your treatment plan. Music is courtesy of Ryan Hamner. Welcome to Living with Scanxiety, the cancer podcast, a podcast geared to help you navigate the pediatric cancer world. As a mother of a child who battled a soft tissue sarcoma for over a year, your host, Rosaria Kozar, understands and will help guide you through your journey. She brings the knowledge of experts, families, survivors, and other organizations tied to the pediatric cancer world to your doorstep. Her mission is to inform, support, and promote hope for you and your family. This is where hope lives. This is where hope thrives. Together as one. So that we can sort of sort of begin our journey together, recognizing that we don't have to be, we don't have to take respective corners and that we don't sort of take it out on each other because we're going through so much stress. So I think just to name it at first, to recognize that it's going to be totally normal to maybe freak out or shut down in the beginning, but then to sort of give it some time and regroup and recognize that that's okay at the beginning. It says we're doing the best we can, but then to come together and recognize that we need each other so much and we're both scared and we're both in shock. And then to use one another as a support system as we go through this thing together. Hi, this is Rosaria and I am here with Valerie Hammerker and I am so happy to have her because we have never had a guest like her on the show. I really think so that she's going to touch a lot of you and be able to reach out and in numerous ways. So I'm going to ask her to introduce herself so that you can get a feel for what she does. She's also a podcaster, a fellow podcaster. She does not podcast about cancer. So stay tuned, please. She is great at, and she knows what she's doing. So please introduce yourself and welcome to the show. Hi, so good to be here today. Yes, my name is Valerie Hamaker. I am a marriage and family counselor and I have uh, special training in working with people who have experienced trauma. And I think that's probably why Rosaria and I connected because this podcast talks all about what it is to be in traumatic situations. And so that's what I'm going to talk to you all about today. I run a private practice. I work with a lot of married couples, uh, family systems, children. I do some educating. I'm an educator and I'm a podcaster. And I also do some coaching and consulting. So a little bit of a lot of things. Yeah, a little bit of everything. And what's the name of your podcast, just so they know? Yeah, my my podcast is called Voices About Living, and it's a podcast that features the stories and interviews of the people that I work personally with as their therapist. And then I also work with other mental health professionals in talking about various case case presentations and different mental health topics. It's really great. I listened to a couple episodes and as a to-be counselor, so to speak, I, I found it very helpful, but even more helpful for everyone that's listening because she said she works with the trauma aspect. So we want to kind of go over how trauma can impact a marriage and how to secure yourselves and deal with this trauma at the same time. So do you want to touch upon that? It's a loaded question. Ah, sure. I would be happy to. So, so kind of the way I think I would frame this up, Rosaria, is to say that, first of all, when a family is managing something as intense as one of its family members struggling with 
an illness uh, like cancer, that is incredibly heavy and very, very painful. It's going to be challenging for every single party in the family. Now, there's a difference, though, between something being extremely heavy and challenging and painful and it becoming traumatic. And the difference is this, that trauma, by definition, is something where an an individual feels overwhelmed in the face of isolation. And so sometimes someone can go through something and be resourced and have strength, have guidance, have uh, support, and they can manage it in a way to where at the end of the day, they're not, their bodies and their spirits and their souls are not traumatized. Whereas somebody else can go through something that is identical in nature, but it's completely traumatizing because of the nature of how it was managed. They may not have resources. They may not have support that things may be handled poorly. And also they don't have the, the, the ability to, or they don't know to be kind of talking through it and working through the heaviness of the situation as they go. And then it becomes overwhelming to the body and to the soul and to the spirit. And so that can be traumatic. So it's not that the situation itself makes something traumatizing. It's how the situation is handled and metabolized in the body. And does this go to speak towards flight, fight, or freeze mode? Will that have an effect on that? Yes, that's that's another way of kind of talking about the same thing. So when we when we have something in our environment that comes upon us, whether it be, you know, back in the caveman days, say, you know, there's a lion coming out of the bushes, <laughs> right? That that our body <laughs> immediately moves into one of actually four responses. Fight and flight are kind of the two big ones that people talk about. And also we can freeze. And in relational situations, in certain situations, we have opportunities to choose neither fight, flight, or freeze. We can also reach. And that Mm -hmm. is considered the most healthy way to handle a situation that could become traumatic in nature is to look around. And if we are resourced and if we have support systems, we can reach out and get the support that we need so that we don't experience trauma. So what type of support systems are we looking at in order to go towards that reach? And how can couples communicate in a productive manner where they're speaking respectfully to each other to get there? So, you know, the way I kind of see this is that when, say, a diagnosis happens or something like when something first hits us, I think we're going to move into fight or flight or freeze, right? Like, like in other words, our bodies are sort of wired to manage a distressing situation by panicking a little bit. And again, mm-hmm. that's how we have been wired, right? In other words, we evolution has prepared us to be able to escape a predator. And so when something hits us for the first time, like a diagnosis, generally speaking, in the case of a, a, a married or a partnership, we're going to kind of fight or flee, or we may freeze. We may be shocked or numb. And I think that's sort of got to be like in, in retrospect, you're going to have to just look and go, okay, that's what happens when we're in a panicky situation. The hope is that sooner rather than later, the couple regroups and recognizes that, okay, we're in a very, very intense and stressful situation 
let's take some deep breaths and let's do as much as we can to move towards each other and recognize that we are in fact on the same team and that we can support one another and also reach out to other support systems in our networks, whether it be family, friends, if we have a church community or a professional community, so that we can start to sort of begin our journey together, recognizing that we don't have to be, we don't have to take respective corners and that we don't sort of take it out on each other because we're going through so much stress. So I think just to name it at first, to recognize that it's going to be totally normal to maybe freak out or shut down in the beginning, but then to sort of give it some time and regroup and recognize that that's okay at the beginning. It says we're doing the best we can, but then to come together and recognize that we need each other so much and we're both scared and we're both in shock. And then to use one another as a support system as we go through this thing together. I don't know if that answers your question, but that's kind of... No, it absolutely does. And I just think it's the um, anticipatory grief going through that alone and then coming together and making sure that you and your partner are speaking to each other in a productive manner. And how can we get through this? Sometimes people don't have the support systems through the hospital, in which case... Is there something that you would suggest that they do if they don't have that support system? Well, I would say the the thing that, again, that kind of defines something that's traumatic is isolation. And mm-hmm. so whatever it takes to find some support network, you know, even if we're talking to people who are listening, who are single, who don't have, you know, the luxury of a partner and maybe they're estranged from their family. I know there's going to be all sorts of constellations of situations, right? Like everybody's not lucky Absolutely. enough to have two sets of grandparents and a partner and like, right? They, they, they aren't going to necessarily have that. But what I would say to that is it's, it's crucial that we have somebody. And if we're lucky enough that we have a few somebodies, even if it means you look into your community and join some sort of a support group for you know, for bereaved people, if, if they, you know, they've dealt with a loss or a support group, if they have a church community, I've even worked with people in my clinical work that they're not necessarily religious people. And I say, you know what, it's okay. You need a community and those might be good people, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Right. The second, we may not be looking for like exact similarities and belief systems, but you need people in your world that can become your tribe. I mean, join, mm-hmm. even joining like school community, like you're, you have ch- children that, you know, a PTA kind of thing where you're not sort of throwing yourself into more responsibilities. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm just saying joining support groups, some of which you can even find through apps and things like that. I would say the best case scenario would be people that are already in your corner. If you have, if you're lucky enough to have a, a partner if you're lucky enough to have extended family, friendships, neighborhood friends, school friends, church friends, I would say this this is the time to resist the urge to isolate because sometimes when we go through trauma or are in something that's very intense, I know for a fact in personal experiences of my own, when I, where there was illness in my home, it took me a month or two to start reaching. I was in so much shock that I kind of sort of shelled off and just tried to manage it myself. And then as time went by, it it became clear to me that that was not the way to handle it. I needed other people. I needed to be talking through 
and working through the grief that I was experiencing and Mm -hmm. um, to kind of just get creative and finding networks or certainly utilizing the people that are ready and waiting. They just sometimes don't know. There are a number of support groups on Facebook that I know of, and some of them are directed towards specific types of cancers. I don't suggest you take medical advice off there. (laughs) And if something comes a question, I would definitely run it by your oncologist first. I see what you're saying. And that I think is excellent advice. And I know my husband and I uh, were lucky enough to be partners in it and work together. And we did allow each other the space to handle things the way that each other wanted to. We made compromises, but we're not perfect. And we did have our little arguments here and there. Uh, we're married. So that's normal. And I, I think through this, there are so many questions that come up, especially if you have other children in the house. What real quick do you recommend if you have other children in the house? Yeah. So I would say it kind of depends on the ages of the children like how you handle managing what's going on with the child who, who has, who is sick. Mm -hmm. You know, I think they're, they're going to want to know what's going on. I think it's really important that they have an understanding that is appropriate for their age about what's going on. And I think it's actually okay. Not only is it okay, but I think it's really important that we're especially as like parents that their world is going to look differently. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you could speak to that forever, right? Absolutely. I mean, as far as like everything is thrown upside down and you're not going to be looking like the mom that they're used to, right? You're going through something that is is maybe the most intense thing that you have ever and will ever go through in your lives. And so for you to kind of sit down with the children that are kind of left at home, sort of trying to like figure out what in the world is going on to sit with them, And in very simple ways, and not just maybe one conversation, but sort of in an ongoing dialogue, you know, brother or sister is sick and mommy and daddy are scared and we're doing the best that we can. And we'll let you know, like how things are going, but you're safe and you're going to be okay. What children need to know is that they are safe and secure and that they're going to be attended to and cared for. And you may even have to say, you're going to be staying with grandma from time to time, or we're going to have some babysitter, like, like to offer to them, like we are working through something challenging and we're going to be okay. Mm -hmm. We're going to be okay. And so most of the time, especially the younger they get, they don't necessarily need all of the details, but what they need is the reassurance that, that they're in good hands with mom and dad. And that it's also, it's interesting that in situations of this nature, if emotion has been normalized and allowed in the family before something big like this comes up, then it won't be so jarring to the child. But if, if you've been in a family system where that isn't seen or people don't show much emotion, and then all of a sudden it happens because you're in crisis, that's going to be a little disorienting for them. And so that may be something that also has to be dealt with that it should be the best and healthiest families sort of allow a large range of emotions and allow for children and even for grownups to have bad days and to cry mm-hmm. and to say, I'm upset or I'm frustrated or I'm discouraged or I'm scared. And if they've always been feeling that that's okay, then this will feel 
different in that it's a bigger deal, but it won't feel quite so jarring to them. Well, that makes sense. And another thing is at this time, you were talking about falling back on communities and whatnot. So many Mm -hmm. hospitals have specialists, child life specialists and other social workers that are geared towards just the child and the children in the family. And that's the time to lean back on those resources. If you don't have outside resources, I heavily recommend that. And I'm guessing you might too. Absolutely. I mean, I think any, any resources that have, that the community has, yes, 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 yes. I mean, right now you're going through something that is, it's, it's, huge Mm -hmm. and it's emotionally overwhelming and it's psychologically overwhelming and it can be physically overwhelming. I mean, you're probably not eating the way you normally do. You're not sleeping the way you normally do. You're not out exercising. Like the things that normally we do to kind of self-regulate and stay emotionally healthy, those things are are sort of being taken from us as we're going through this crisis. And so to use every resource that you have to help you feel cared for to help you feel normal and to help your family feel normal. And as if they're getting those emotional and even physical needs met. Yeah, I would say absolutely. 100%. That's great. All this information has been so helpful. I think a lot of the listeners are going to get so much out of it and I'm very excited to share it with everyone Uh, But now we move on to kind of a different segment. It's a little bit lighthearted, I should say. So I'm going to ask you some questions and one word answers, except for the first one. Okay. All right. So your life's Mm -hmm. mission, one sentence, and it can't be a run on. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I just, I want to help people not feel like they're alone. Excellent. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Uh, What TV show best represents your life right now or movie? This Is Us. I love that one. Me too. Just tell us the name of your podcast again. Yeah. So you can find me on iTunes and Spotify. The, The name of the podcast is Voices About Living. And you can get a lot of my wellness content on Instagram at Valerie Hammaker Therapy. Awesome. Okay. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate you taking time out of your day. My pleasure. So good to be with you, Rosaria. Thank you for tuning in to Living with Scanxiety. Please subscribe to hear more informative discussions like today's. Music is courtesy of Ryan Hamner.